So here's the thing. With Grace and Carly and it's season two. We have been able to do all this thanks to this free app called Anchor. We use their creation tools to create our podcast just how we want it. And then it does all the work distributing it to places like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. And we make money. That's right, folks. You two can talk into the oblivion and get paid to do it. So no matter the size of your following, even if you still only have those 12 listeners. Or if you're mega famous like us. Well, more or less. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on your very own podcast. Hello, Hello everybody. Before we start today, we want to call attention to what should probably be the first thing on your mind this week. Makia Bryant, a 16-year-old girl from Columbus, Ohio, was murdered by a Columbus police officer on Tuesday. This is particularly disheartening because it came on the same day that we finally received a guilty verdict for Derek Chavon in the murder of George Floyd. Racism is still extremely alive and very rampant in this country. Carly and I are both two pretty privileged white women, so we're not going to make an episode about what happened this week because, frankly, we don't speak from authority and there are other voices that you should be listening to. We'll link some of our our favorite um, creators of color Mm -hmm. when we post this episode that you should be following specifically right now. Um, but we also want to share with you some action items right now that you can do. Um, and right now it would be demanding accountability for this particular murder. Um, and that'll be calling the interim police chief of the, uh, Columbus police department, Michael Woods. And you can also contact the mayor, Andrew Ginther. Or call the Columbus city council. We're going to link all those phone numbers when we post this. Um, like I said, or like Carly said, it is probably the most important thing that is happening right now is demanding accountability for this murder. Yep. Also, we wanted to start making land acknowledgments, um, for the indigenous people that still occupy the land that Mm -hmm. we live on yeah so Um, we're recording from our house yes which is from our house which is on stillaguamish and coast salish and squamish land um yep all right enjoy the rest of the podcast (laughs) yes indeed (laughs) enjoy the rest of our podcast which is still serious but we can speak from a little bit more of a position of authority on Welcome to So Here's the Thing with Grace and Carly. I hope you guys follow us on Instagram and got our last week podcast, which was just Grace talking about how she wanted to be small and ride a mini duck. <laughs> or no, ride a duck. she wants to be small so she can ride a regular size duck. I want to ride a duck. regular size duck. It'd so be ridiculous if you a giant duck. didn't catch our last podcast, maybe you should follow Holiday House. Productions, productions on Instagram. You should totally do it. We post some goofy <laughs> stuff, and I think you'd like it if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today. Today, wow, what a week it has been. It has. This isn't even the biggest story, but it's still a no. big thing. Carly and I are both theater majors. We both graduated Hey-o. with 
theater degrees. And as such, I'm sure many of you have all heard of the drama that's going down in the theater community, which is basically that very, very famous and prolific producer Scott Rudin has been... I don't, me too is maybe not quite the right word. I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely thought he died. <laughs> I thought that all this time that we were just like, oh yeah, that guy died. And I'm like, what a bummer. <laughs> I didn't realize that he was just like being outed. Yeah, he was being outed for being abusive. Ah, to... I thought he died. Yeah, like really volatile. Guys, I know that I'm part of the theater company, but I do not know anything about the theater. Basically, <laughs> former assistants specifically have talked mm. about extremely abusive, volatile behavior um, going back for decades. Um, and basically just a bullying rage. Um, he smashed a computer monitor on an assistant's hand after an unsuccessful flight booking. Really, really, really just like... I mean, it's awful, but extremely childish stuff. And the fact that he was allowed to get away with it for so long is, I for me, what's really so shocking. Not that, like, I mean, he deserves this comeuppance, but I'm mm-hmm. also like, how did anyone let that happen? But, you know, he is a rich white guy. He has a lot of money and a yeah. lot of influence. Um, what I'm specifically going to point <laughs> out, though, is that our lovely friend, uh, Peter Marks, who writes for the Washington Post, uh, took the time to write an article about Rudin's uh, comeuppance and fall from grace, which actually, for anybody who's not in the theater community, Scott Rudin's also a famous uh, film producer as well. He produced stuff like The Social Network and There Will Be Blood and Lady Bird and a ton of stuff that you would recognize. He's a very prolific is probably not the right word but just, you would know stuff that he's done like to call him prolific or whatever you're, you i'm just like jump the gun but to call him that he does any of these things i'm like he's just the money <laughs> he's just a producer he's he just the money really he, that's the thing right that... or direct or he just has money i mean like there's probably a little bit more than just that and producers blah 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 but For the most part, your job is to, like, give people money. Yes. So this writer decided to write the line. And this article, in a lot of ways, I think is good at detailing what is happening. But then goes into, an exit by Rudin has potentially immense consequences for an industry that is short on visionary leaders. The Internet Broadway database lists 77 plays and musicals produced by Rudin since the early 90s. And they run the gamut from star-studded musicals to risky new work. So, (laughs) what we're going to do today, it's going to be a little fun and a little caustic. And we're going to have a great time. Uh, I decided to go to, well, actually, I'm going to be looking on Broadway World because, frankly, I find their format more pleasing. (laughs) Um, But it's the same list of plays. So we're going to go through the list of stuff Scott Rudin has produced because he's such a visionary. (laughs) And we're going to find all of the times that he wasn't. That he wasn't, pretty (laughs) much. And then make fun of him. And actually, now that I'm looking at this, I think we're going to go to Broadway Database because this is not really up to date. Okay, we're on the Broadway Database. to us. Damn it. How did Oh, you? I'm already forgetting the author's names. Mar- Marks something. Peter Marks. Peter Marks, you were right. The Broadway database is better. 
because it has uh, more new stuff. I still didn't like your article. We're <laughs> going to look at all the times that Scott Rudin produced plays, actually specifically revivals Ugh. of plays by old dead white guys. And I'm looking up really quick who wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Because I don't want to be wrong. Okay. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I accidentally typed into Google who's Afra. He's apparently a Japanese beatboxer. He actually looks kind of cool. Um, so, so we'll circle back around. Look up Afra. That looks great. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, however, is written by an old dead white guy, Edward Albee. I think Edward Albee's dead. Is he? We don't know. Don't He's know. old and white. Um <laughs> everyone's old and white and so stupid. I, you know what's funny though is that that's not even what we're gonna start with because i would just like to say on a serious note mm. first of all producers i'm not sure can really be visionaries they're just literally there true. to provide money yeah but even if we were to consider a producer visionary i don't think that like what, what we're really losing right now with scott rudin stepping down from stuff is the revival of the Music Man. Like, that's what he was doing next, is the revival of the Music Man. What a vision. The Music Man. And listen, <laughs> I love the Music Man, but we don't need another revival It's of it. not visionary. It's not new. Just well, it's not visionary. It's not and, new. And if it is something new and different with an old, stupid white guy script, like, if you were the producer, you didn't vision anything. You didn't vision anything. You just put money behind it. You just put, it. Money, you just put it. money behind an old white guy's story. And then had someone else spice it up a little bit. Like, that's not... But there are so many not-white-guy good playwrights. This is the thing, is that (laughs) Visionary would be actually producing people with interesting stories to tell. I'm not sure you can be a Visionary producer if half of what you do is revivals. Those are cash grabs. Even if they're reimagined revivals. I'm looking at you, Revival of Carousel. What the hell? He's still abusive. He's still abusive. It's like Taming of the Shrew. You're not gonna fix it. Just don't do it. Just stop doing it. There are so many things that we should maybe just, like, stop doing. Like, it's okay if we don't ever do a certain show again we can still read it we can still learn from it we just don't have to produce it don't funnel millions of dollars into it so that you think you can get a million dollars out of it we're actually going to go through this list now though because i'm going to rant forever if i am allowed to well it's your podcast so (laughs) it's our podcast oh good she said that first (laughs) (laughs) the first credit on here is the as of yet not produced music man which I thought we had starting <laughs> off strong. <laughs> Boo. Boo. It's a musical by Meredith Wilson, who is an old dead white guy. He wrote some pretty interesting music, but old dead white guy, the play has been around since early 60s, I think. I think that's when golden Music age. Man was produced. It's Golden Age. It was like a little bit post-Golden Age, but not by that Do we much. like realize that Golden Age was good because they made new stuff? And so the only way to get back to a golden age is to make new stuff. Right, exactly. It was a golden age because people were having a bunch of new ideas that, yes, were racist. Bad, but... Of course, at the time, it was, like, progressive. It's so funny to listen to, like, South Pacific. Uh... And it's like, it was so progressive at the time. Uh... And it is also simultaneously so unbelievably racist. And anybody who doesn't know any high school... (laughs) 
Yep. Who doesn't? Uh, uh, we were both in South we Pacific. We were both in South Pacific. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but to go down this list a little yes. bit further, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the second credit that he just put on Broadway. Apparently it never officially opened, but I'm still going to count it. <laughs> well, you counted the music, right? Because it serves my narrative. <laughs> um, also, Old Dead White Guy. Uh, I, per, to be perfectly old. honest, I've never read Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I probably should. But you know what? No, it's from my Old Dead White Guy. I don't need to read any more of those. It was on a reading list in theater history of one that I could have chose, and I didn't. Yeah. So I didn't read it, but I maybe should have? No, I don't know. I chose a different one. I read The Children's Hour, and it was actually really good. Yeah. Well, that's Lillian so. Hellman, and she's great. <laughs> so um, I have no regrets on what I chose. That's a lady playwright. <laughs> Going down... Okay, I did not look up the Layman trilogy. We could look this up. Well, let's skip to the ones we out. know. <laughs> but we should skip to the ones we know. I don't really care oh, about this that it. much. You can click it. This is, okay, Broadway Database is pretty cool. I'll eat my words on that one. <laughs> I'm, it's pretty interesting. Um, there's too many words it on never here. Got... Pay attention to it. It also never opened. Open, um, so. But I'll tell you what's next on the list is West Side Story. Oh, how original. Which, listen, <laughs> we gotta stop using West Side Story as the bar for wokeness. It's another one that I have plenty of affection for, but like, it's a movie about or the musical i guess about like very surface level racial and immigration politics written by white guys we gotta step it up fam good god also there was a lot of controversy with this production of west side story and there being like a sexual abuser in the cast i don't remember Mm -hmm. all of it but it was it was riddled with controversy it was actually a complete mess well if you Um, are abusive you probably don't really care care that much as long as you can make more money exactly boo Um, we're not gonna rip on the inheritance because matthew lopez is great okay Uh, that's fine And I don't want to bring him down in this. <laughs> um, Hillary and Clinton is not a revival, I don't think, but like, yikes. I know <laughs> nothing about it, and yikes. <laughs> we were talking about this the other day, and I was like, please tell me that's not a musical. But you know what? <laughs> Maybe it would have be been better if it was a, a musical. musical. <laughs> uh... I tell you what is a revival, and this pains me because I love it, but what is a revival of a play by an old dead white guy, and that's King <laughs> Lear. Oh boy, that he's very dead. He's very and dead. Very old. Very old. Very white. It's also think. his birthday on the day that we're recording this today. Oh seriously? I mean, that's what my oh my god, happy birthday, William Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. you did a you lot died. of good stuff, but you also died. And so now let us like and. I love King Lear. I think it's an incredible play, but it's just not a really, like, this is still, Scott Rudin did produce a lot of stuff, but we're not even past 2019 yet. Like, and we're going backwards in time. We're not even past 2019. And how many do we have so far? Like, five. Of revivals? Five revivals of old dead white guy plays (laughs) or musicals. Real visionary right there. (laughs) And again, it's not that he hasn't found the occasional diamond in the rough, but also I'd like to say that, like, the way theater producing works, doing something like The Inheritance is not as risky as a lot of people have it in their heads to be. 
that that play had runs at regional houses in which they tested audiences on it. They knew it was going to do well. Ain't Too Proud, the Temptations musical, had like a three-month run at Berkeley Most Rep before it went to Broadway. Do. Most do. Most I have very little several. who don't. So it's not actually a risk to produce a show like that. You know it's going to do well because you've had multiple test audiences. Like, it's not, it's not risky work. And I just need theater people to understand that, like, doing a play by a person of color is not inherently risky. And that's part, that's part of why it's racist is, yeah. like, the thought that doing, producing any playwright of color might be risky and like you should be praised for producing it it's like that's that's that is the racism right there (laughs) (laughs) plain and simple (laughs) um let's see to kill a mockingbird gets partial credit because harper lee is a woman but (laughs) i know this production is another one that pains me a little bit because like it probably was a really good production I love Jeff Daniels, and he played Atticus. Bartlett sure directed. Mm -hmm. And, like, great cast, great production team, but also still a story about a white savior. Like, there's lots of problems with To Kill a Mockingbird. And for the time in which it was written, again, it's another one of those for the time in which it was written, an important narrative, Mm -hmm. radical even, and we can study it like that in schools, but mm-hmm. we don't need to put it on Broadway again. No. Produce black playwrights' <laughs> works. Yeah. Don't produce this woman's book who had a very vague understanding of race and racism like 70 years ago. <laughs> Good God, people. Pull it together. <laughs> also, still not visionary. <laughs> the ferryman is Irish. Is that um, I have a, whatever his face's name is? Deep soft spot for wait what? Who wrote it's this? It's not Martin McDonough. Um, mm, it's no, uh, but who wrote it? Uh, Jez Butterworth. Oh, still not the guy. I, was I think that this either was a premiere or a somewhat recent revival, so we're not gonna hate on that one too much. But the boys in the band. <laughs> the boys in the band. <laughs> I don't know if the writer of The Boys in the Band is dead yet. Uh, Mark Crowley. Let's find out. Yep. Yes, he's dead. Oh, he died died recently. (laughs) I feel kind of bad, but he's white and it's a revival. Oh, he died super recently. He died super recently, but he was also pretty old. Well, 85. I don't know. That feels like a good life. I have nothing against Mark Crowley. I mean, he wrote Bless a... his heart. And plan. the boys in the band is a good, like, it was important representation for gay men, but it's also all white gay men. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah! And it looks and like a production revival. was, too. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Well, okay, there's, like, one person of color. There's a token person of color in the boys in the band. Uh-oh. This was the so other. that Jim Parsons could be <laughs> serious. <laughs> I like you guys didn't see that because it's a podcast. They also but made a movie on Netflix with this same cast, which I kind of hate when they do that. When they just copy paste <laughs> from Broadway to movies. I don't. Like, we just wasted so <laughs> I much think it's money. So funny. <laughs> I, I like, like these actors and like 
in some sense, like, I'm glad that they have a chance to, like, you know, be gay in not a tokenizing way. Mm-hmm. But it's still mostly white gay men. They still did tokenize that <laughs> they still, one guy. They still did tokenize the one guy. And he's not even in guy. any of these pictures. He's in, like, one or two pictures. So. So, boys in the band as well. This is a sloppy podcast because uh, we are absolutely prepared. looking through this list. as we, Like, we're not even counting these. We're just going hey, look, through the list Carousel's there. <laughs> Carousel is not even next on the list. Because guess what? We gotta talk about the Iceman Comet first. Uh, with Denzel Washington. With Denzel Washington, which we love. Listen, I love Denzel Washington with all of my heart. He, like, literally revolutionized Shakespeare by playing Don Pedro in <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing, and I'll die on that hill. I love Denzel. And I'm glad Denzel got a chance to be in this show in general, <laughs> but this is where people come in and they're like, oh, Scott Rudin produced Iceman Cometh, but George C. Wolfe directed and Denzel Washington played the lead. Look at how progressive he is. And I'm like, he doesn't get gold stars for that. Denzel Washington is a category winning actor. It's not progressive to cast Denzel Washington. Yeah. It is That's a money logical grab. to cast Denzel Washington. He will make you lots of money and money, he's good in money, everything money. he's in. That's not progressive. That's not a risk. I need people to understand. Denzel Washington is not a risk. People will come and see him. They will come and see. No, like it doesn't matter the play. And you, you put Denzel Washington. You insinuating at the top of the poster that it's in the risky. biggest letters. Just because he's black it is, is racist. racist. That is the racist part. Um. Uh... But yeah. Fuck Eugene O'Neill. I mean, like, I don't, I don't have any strong feelings towards Eugene O'Neill, honestly. I don't have any strong. I mean, fuck positive. David Mamet, but like, <laughs> I don't have any fun with the positive feelings either. Iceman cometh, number one example. Carousel. Uh, what year did that come out? I feel like everyone 60s. needs to know. No, 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 no. Wait, no. What 50s. year did he revive? Oh, did he revive it? it? Two thousand eighteen. Oh, I hate Carousel so much. I have a personal axe to grind against this. <laughs> I just, it's one of those, like, Taming of the Shrew where it just absolutely it just condones abuse and there's no way around it and everyone wants to find a workaround. There isn't one. There isn't one. The play is corrupt. Sometimes you just don't need to not do, do these things. Don't do it. Do, just don't. Do not do it. It's not worth it. You're not going to find the magic loophole that makes it okay. <laughs> I like you are that not everybody that smart. Tries, so. Everybody tries. Everybody tries. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just fucked. I'm sorry. It's, it's to take a leaf out of my boss's book. It's fucked off. <laughs> You're not going to fix it. I feel like I'm... Stop doing it. Write a new musical. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Our next podcast is just be like, let's talk about all the ways people have tried to fix Taming of the So shrew. honestly, and... it would be a really funny podcast. <laughs> To just, it's like all the different Milky Whites in Into the Woods. <laughs> like, how has everybody tried to fix Taming of the Shrew? <laughs> and it's really funny because people do really try to finagle their way into yeah, a PC ending. So many different oh, versions. My favorite one is where they just like, Bianca killed, no, Kate killed everybody? Who killed everybody? Annie would know. One person, it was either Kate or Bianca, <laughs> I don't remember, killed everybody, <laughs> and they walked off the stage. 
That's so funny. Kate. That makes the most. I really, really Kate just killed want everybody. That to be the way that and show that was how ends it every time. Also, um, we're only back to 2018, and I'm about to talk to you about literally the probably the like eighth or ninth <laughs> old dead white guy revival play, which is Three Tall Women. Another one that pains me a little bit to say because my doppelganger was in this production, Who's and I wanted to see it. Allison Pill. Allison mm. Pill was in this. Look how much she looks like me. I mean, I know y'all can't see it because this is a podcast. I don't see it. But she looks a lot like me. And Glenda Jackson was in it, and so was Laurie Metcalf. And they're all incredibly talented actors. And I'll bet it was a good show. But you know what? Edward Albee is dead, and he also wrote the show many years ago. So, like, listen. So here's the thing with Grace and Carly. Um, I don't know if it's just this picture or not, but I disagree that that is not your doppelganger. No, it is my doppelganger. No, it it's, doesn't look like you. It doesn't look like me. No, don't say that. <laughs> Maybe it's just the costume in the pictures. With looking like Allison Pill. But One time... I don't see it. I'm very bad at like, finding out. Oh, I watched Midnight in Paris, your doppelganger's in it, and I thought they meant Rachel McAdams, and I felt super flattered, and then I watched it, and then I knew it wasn't Rachel McAdams, and I was really sad. <laughs> and I finally just got okay with like looking like Alice and Phil. I'm like, no, she's also super pretty. I'm not saying that she, you're not pretty. You're... <laughs> That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying I don't think that she looks like you in that picture. Yeah. What's next? I don't know who wrote this stage adaptation of 1984, but we didn't need it. <laughs> Did um, we ever? <laughs> adapted by Robert Ick and Duncan McMillan. I mean, it's originally bet? written by an old white guy. It is. So, and like, that counts. I'm not saying you. 1984 is bad. It's just, like, really, that's what we're producing again. We don't need a 1984 play. <laughs> Produce something new. You know new. what we really don't need, though? <laughs> a Doll's House Part 2. I really hate to say this. I do not like any of Lucas Nath's work. Um, I feel like I should. I don't. I, it does not connect with me whatsoever. And Adult House Part 2 is why, no exception. Why you had to... That, why? It ends. It's just Adult House, the end, goodbye. It's not a sequel show. Nope. It's not a sequel show. It didn't need a sequel. It's, sequel. it's not a revival, technically, but it's I feel the, like it's the um, straight plays version of... It was like the contemporary theater version of a revival. It's as close <laughs> as you can get to a revival without actually reviving the show. And I'm that like, just, just write, write a play. Just write, just write a play. <laughs> just, um, or don't. Scott Rudin, produce a new play. Don't produce somebody's like think piece essay on a doll's house. Nobody needed a doll's house part Speaking two. of dolls... Hello, Dolly! <laughs> he was in a doll mood. <laughs> we just literally got back to 2017. And here we are at, like, the 12th old dead white guy revival. <laughs> this is what I mean by not visionary. I... The, the, the first thing that we've gotten... Okay, I guess The Inheritance. Mm-hmm. And now we're finally getting down to Sweat, Sweat by, by Lynn Nottage. Which I will never so... say a single bad word about. I love Lynn Nottage. Lynn Nottage is perfect. <laughs> 
And she's an amazing playwright. And Sweat is an incredible play. When the Pulitzer Prize. I know, because I told people that. Back when I was working at the theater, that's what we were going to do. And then the pandemic happened. So I talked Sweat the hell up. (laughs) And then it never happened. What a bummer. It was a bummer. Um, Lynn Nottage is great. But it's another one of those where you look at plays by Matthew Lopez and Lynn Nottage. They're prolific, prolific playwrights. Lynn Nottage has won at least one Pulitzer Prize. She's been in the running for more. I want to say there was another one that she came at least in second place. Because I want to say that she was the first female to win (laughs) No, don't quote me on that. Okay. I remember we had a conversation in theater history, again, all I know is from theater history, about how it was prolific for some reason because she won. I want to say that she won too. I don't know. That makes sense. She's amazing. Producing her work is not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily make you a visionary. Scott Rudin didn't you find did. Lynn Nottage no, at the bottom of the barrel. Like, no. At this point, that she she had already gained some clout because she had already done. Oh, what's the other one that she wrote? Um, there's another famous uh, one. Famous... OSF did a good production of it. Uh, I want to say Carnage, but it's not Carnage. No. It's the other play. Uh, um, also, gonna... a very good play. Uh, uh, Is it ru- ruined? Right. Yes, ruined. yes, yeah. yes. She, ruined was another like that, and that got such acclaim. I maybe Scott Rudin produced it too. I don't know, maybe. but you have to really weed through because the next thing on this list is just the Glass Menagerie, and like, listen, there's some Tennessee Williams plays that are absolute fire and like deconstruct gender and sexuality <laughs> in really, really interesting ways because Tennessee Williams, flaming homosexual, Yay. but. Glass Menagerie is probably the straightest of all of Tennessee Williams' plays. That's the one they make you read in high school. It's the straightest of all his plays and like also very white and also Tennessee Williams is very dead and this is obviously a revival. Like you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) And I think at this point I'm gonna stop going down the list because you get the picture but like you look through this list, and and there's still things that come up here, like the Crucible and a view from the bridge, and it's not visionary to continue to... reproducing Arthur Miller. We can stop that now. We've like, seen it. We've, we've done it. it. We We're over it. it. There's more. There is new stuff being done. Go find it. Producers that own this much corner on the market and continue to produce old plays that are not telling us anything new are the reason that new playwrights, specifically playwrights of color, specifically trans playwrights, specifically um, indigenous playwrights, I guess kind of under the people of color blanket but the stories from those communities are very different the black community the indigenous community are very different and producers like scott rudin are part of what is stifling that oh yeah because all of the money for the arts that the big producers who who run a corner on the theaters and on the market have is going towards these revivals and like 
I'm sorry, but throwing a few people of color into the ensemble is not going to cut it. Not that I don't want those ensemble actors to have jobs, but I want you to produce musicals that center their voices. Yeah. Or shows that center their voices. And written by them, directed by them. Lighting design, costume design. Costume design. Fill your theater's staff and board with people of color as well. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's... Theater is, right now, especially Broadway, but theater in general is very capitalist. And I think we are living in this illusion that we can have capitalist theater and and also have good meaningful theater but then we keep regurgitating the same 10 musicals over and over again and it's clear that that's not true and this whole thing with scott rudin is like obviously he needs to step down because Mm -hmm. of the abuse that he commits against his assistants and that's absolutely horrifying but the fact that there is any kind of mourning of his artistic vision in the community I think just shows how stifled Broadway is right now Mm -hmm. not to say that Scott Rudin has particularly bad taste but the Scott Rudin's taste has been raised up as the standard as what is seen as quality the fact that people are like well Broadway's going downhill now like Yikes. Because Scott Rudin is leaving. No. Like, no. That's not how that His works. His particular taste, these like 10 Golden Age musicals and some Edward Albee plays, <laughs> is is not the paramount of quality. And we're going to get some really, really, really sorry productions like we've been getting in the past probably 10 years, maybe more. If we continue to think that way, ugh, it's just kind of devastating. And again... Not everything he's produced has been terrible. And it's... And not everything he's produced has been regurgitated. Yeah. And it's just, like, sad because it trickles down, like, because he's at the top and Broadway is seen as the top of the theater Mm -hmm. world. And so, like, those random people on the street, they go, oh, yeah, Broadway. (laughs) I know that thing. That's where the the acting happens and stuff like that. So then when they only produce the regurgitated old shows and they're like look we and we make the money this way it trickles down into the community theaters and so community theaters think that they can only do regurgitated old golden age musicals and i just feel like because they're like that's what success looks like that's what success looks like we built this for that a high thing into something and it doesn't do what it should it makes this like view look like this is what you want to do and then people do that and so we just don't get any new theater that is good yeah. anywhere unless people break the mold and when people break the mold it's beautiful and wonderful and m- a majority of the audiences thrive and love it and then you get the old white guys who come to the show and they go I just want to see them calls because that's what they believe success is they're like i can't go to broadway but i want it here right and the fact that i i read a, an article i'll just bring this up a little bit i wanted to literally <laughs> refute this article in the podcast and then i was like that's probably a bad idea none of y'all read the article so you're probably not gonna care but i'll leave just a little tidbit of basically someone defending broadway's capitalist structure 
because I put defending people pay for it. Quote. And because I well yeah, it wasn't really a defense. The guy does not know how to write. He doesn't know how to write. He was like, remember that one time? Yeah, that one time that Denzel Washington was in a raisin in the sun and Obama saw it. Progress. <laughs> That's all he said. I kid you not. There was no explanation. And basically, his point was that capitalist Broadway isn't broken past repair because people see pay to see shows and occasionally there is representation in shows and that's just so sad to me yeah. it's so sad because theater is supposed to be so much more than that it's supposed to be so much more than a black elsa no tea no shade to the actor who the, the person of color who played elsa most recently in frozen on broadway i'm sure it was a magical experience but there is more than a white production team and white producers patting themselves on the back for finally casting a person of color as a Disney princess on mm. Broadway. There's so much more out there than that. And these big budget cash grab musicals produced by people like Scott Rudin are what's stifling real artists. That's not exclusively with stifling real artists. That's a whole other conversation about how capitalism infiltrates theaters and keeps important voices from being heard, so keeps theaters stupid. Um, but part of it is the fact that these people corner the markets and then their personal taste, which they haven't even probably thought that deeply about, is just like what they like, which is usually white bullshit because no. they're rich white guys. Their taste becomes what theater is because they have the money to make it that way. And that's, it's just sad. It's, you know, devoid of any depth and cultural significance. And we could have that in theater. So I guess my point today really is... Broadway's not a role model. Broadway's not a role model. It's probably going to need to die. I hate that. Because I don't want theater to die for a while, but I think it needs to die and be reborn a little bit. Um, maybe even if that's more of a metaphorical death. No. Because we're not producing what needs to be produced right now. And we're not doing it in a way that supports people. I mean, obviously not. Scott Rudin was allowed to get away with abusing his assistants for, God, how many years? 30 years? And that's Too not... Long. That's not new. I mean... Yeah. People are like, wow, Broadway kind of sucks. And I was we're like, doing wait, a wait. little bit to Scott Rudin what we did with, like, Derek Chauvin, or Chauvin in this past week of, like, ugh... You evil human being. You individual evil human being. And, like, yes, correct. But also, the system at large, like, the, I don't want people to fall into the ideology that Scott Rudin was an isolated case. That no. happens all the time in the Broadway community. There's, like, probably a dozen of those producers still wandering around. At least. <laughs> at least. Probably more. Yeah. In Broadway specifically. Oh, but, like, regionally. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So many. <laughs> the theater world is evil. <laughs> and I think we really need to restructure. I need We need a real come-to-Jesus moment. I'd love to love to chat with Karen Olivo about it. She doesn't know who I am. <laughs> All these people that we, like, name-drop that were like, You're awesome! 
will never listen to our podcast is sad. Literally never. But She's like, so cool, if though. you ever do, for some random reason, you can always call us and join our podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> All that to say, this is the thing that happened this week that I can develop intelligent opinions on. Um, Did we have the platform? And that, yeah, that I'm like, I can talk. I got a theater degree. I know enough to talk intelligently about why Scott Rudin ain't shit. <laughs> Boo. It's gonna keep booing. And, like, he did step down and he didn't deny the allegations. And that's not noble, but it is, at the very least, I think a little bit like, okay. At, when, least he just, at least he just knew when to walk away. When the bar is, like, six feet underground and you're like, how evil, and then someone, like, makes it over ground level, you're like, thank God it's not six feet under. Literally. And it's sad because I'd like the bar to be higher. But at this point, it's not. <laughs> so, we'll take what we can get. I just wish everyone would go quietly like that. <laughs> Like, yeah, get out of here. You knew what you did. I absolutely still thought that he died. (laughs) Very funny. I thought we were talking about a dead man. It's weird to me, because, like, I I get power dynamics are still a thing, but, you know, when it's sexual assault, there's so much, like, personal shame that goes into that that I'm like, Mm -hmm. I get why it doesn't come out for a while, because it takes a really long time to process. He dropped a computer on... He sent his assistant to the emergency room. I'm like, how was that not... (laughs) How did someone not fill out a report for that? (laughs) That's not like a, hey, come into my office and like, I'm gonna intimidate you into doing something gross and then, but you did it. So like, you have to process it for 20 years and then it comes out. This was like, people were around. (laughs) This guy had to go to the emergency room. (laughs) How... How did that just, like, get swept under the rug? It's unbelievable what you can do with a certain amount of money. Like, money, white privilege, and the theater world just doesn't care. It's so true. (laughs) Dropped a computer. Never mind. Um, (laughs) Ouch. I think that's all I have to say on this subject. Do you have anything else to say on this subject? Any closing points? Boo. Boo. <laughs> <Bear>. <laughs> uh, that is my closing point. Here we go. <gasps> Bye. Bye!